So I was excited, Alan, because last night I did the NFL draft and was basically talking to myself for three hours. So the fact that I was actually going to have a conversation today on this, I'm really excited about. <laughs> welcome, <laughs> welcome, critter friends, to Hoddle Flow. This is a podcast for plebs, by plebs, humble to be one. I don't run any ads on this. I'm really trying to promote the value for value. And value is not just sats and zapping. I think about it as first. I just want to interact. I want you guys to either share, join in the discussion, ideas that come up. That's really valuable to me, first off. And then sharing. And then finally, if you want to zap today. But today, I'm really excited to have Alan B. Watts. I, I really mean this by, he was the first one when I joined Noster probably now a few months ago. I think it was in mid-February. And he just immediately launched on my radar of, it seemed I was zapping every single note you were writing, Alan. I was like, <laughs> I, need to, I need to have a, a sat budget just for Alan's notes. So welcome and thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, Free Critter. It's really nice to speak with you. And yeah, I've enjoyed your presence on Noster as well. So how long have, have you been on? I feel like we were around the same time, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I believe I joined in about January or there thereabouts. Okay. So it was a little bit before the March off Twitter started. But I will say as soon as March 1st happened and I went Noster only for that month, I definitely got a lot more engaged on Noster and kind of just, you know, re reworked my whole natural habit to go Noster first. And, and that's continued even post March off Twitter. What what sparked that decision? Because I feel like in some ways it's simple to say, but seemingly complex to do. Yeah, well, I'd heard people talk about it. And I think Kamari was the first person who mentioned it that I saw. And originally I thought, oh, that's, that's pretty dumb because, you know, most people on Noster are already Bitcoiners. And if you're someone that cares about you know, bringing new people into Bitcoin and spreading the good news of Satoshi, then it does make sense to have a presence on Twitter. And I still do have that mindset. But I think one one thing I, that, you know, I was missing back then is that, you know, really like the best way to criticize is to create. So mm-hmm. to actually create a better alternative to Twitter and be present on there and have that be the primary place where you're posting and, and zapping and, and everything else that's the way to create a better world it's you know the same thing as with fiat it's like you can create you can criticize the bankers and the you know policies all day long but until you actually start to build out a you know, circular economy that's better than the fiat system then you know really you're just uh you know in the peanut gallery and you're, you're not actually you know creating a serious alternative so true alan we're, we're not even five minutes in i'm already like we, we could we could end the podcast right now <laughs> <I'm already laughs> I want to go to the first note. So for a little bit behind the scenes to guys let you know, I will DM a guest with a note that just pops out to me for whatever reason. It could be any type of note here. And Alan, again, like I said, it seems every note, I was like, oh, that's great, that's great. So I was trying to figure out where to start. And Alan, you've you've done a couple notes around parenting. And one that really stood out to me, and how I think about this, especially with Bitcoin hypernization and trying to lower your time preference and thinking, you know, how much am I really going to be around to see for this and thinking about what the next generations are. And I think regardless of where you are having a family or or things like that, you kind of start thinking about generations instead of just, you know, what's next week, next month, next year. So this note really struck me, said having kids and teaching them the way capitalized is one of the greatest gifts you can give humanity. Can you expand on that a little bit for us? 
Yeah, definitely. So I, I do talk a lot about the way and you know, many people have talked about this before me. It's not something I came up with and it goes all the way back to Lao Tzu talks about the way uh, it's referred to as the way of Zen. Jesus refers to the way. Um, there's many people throughout history who have talked about the way and, and basically what it means is it's the way, the righteous way, the way where you do what you know in your innermost self, what you, you know, what is the right thing. And so I think that's one thing that's very strong within the Bitcoin community is everyone has this mindset of don't trust verify. And so everyone is kind of verifying with their own self what is right for humanity. They're not just taking it down from authority. And so to instill that in your own kids and then have a next generation that's able to you know, take up that torch and carry it on is the single greatest thing I think that you can do because the, I, the goal is not just for Bitcoin to be around in our lifetimes, it's for Bitcoin to improve lifetimes for all future generations to come. And so, yeah, if you're only out for yourself, and I think that's one of the big problems I see in fiat world is that a lot of people aren't having kids. Like if you look at birth rates, they're way down, uh, especially in you know Western countries. Uh, even in China and in most countries that, you know, um, are in like the quote unquote developed world are having declining birth rates. And I think that all stems from a Malthusian philosophy, which I know, you know, Laser Huddle has talked a lot about. But it's really this idea that humans are bad for the planet and we're emitting too much carbon dioxide and therefore we need less humans and we need to police humans and make sure they don't get out of line. And this is just totally the opposite of the way we should be thinking about it because humans aren't against nature, humans are nature. Like we are part of the world. You know, like Alan Watts said, we didn't come into this world, we came out of it. And so I think that's just a huge, um, you know, a much better and more accurate philosophy to, to convey to your kids. And then, you know, that, those kids basically carry on the torch and create an even better world than you can for the next generation after them. No, that's beautiful. And thinking about even just the, the squeeze and the tension that you would feel if you're thinking, oh, I want to start a family. I want to support another living being. How much harder that gets when inflation and everything seems to be just running against you. You're running in this quicksand. And, and, and whether or not you even go into all the ESG stuff, right, and thinking, oh, humans are bad for the planet, even just living on a daily basis seems to be getting tougher and seeming to be a pressure point for families and, and growing humanity. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I feel for people that are still in that fiat mindset because you're right. It is really hard to know how you're going to be able to provide for yourself five years from now, let alone a kid 50 years from now. And if you don't have something like Bitcoin, then it is hard to feel secure for your future and your kid's future. So I do think it's important to you know promote optimism as much as possible, rational optimism around Bitcoin so that people can get out of this, uh, you know, these, these scared mindsets and these short-term ways of thinking. I, I like how you said rational optimism there. Can you expand on that a little bit more and, and what you see or what that means to you? Yeah, totally. So I would say there's a delusional optimism and then there's a rational optimism where delusional optimism is kind of what we see in a lot of fiat world where people just it's too stressful to even think about what's happening in the monetary system. It's too stressful to think about the you know, trillions of dollars of debt that we're never going to be able to pay, all the unfunded liabilities we won't be able to pay. 
all of the uncertainty around the debt ceiling and around how am I going to pay my bills next month, next year, or next decade. And so a lot of people just kind of unplug and they pretend like it's not going on. And I'm reminded of the Ayn Rand quote where she says, you can ignore reality, but you, you, but you can't, or you can avoid rea- reality, but you can't avoid the consequences of avoiding reality. So that's what I would consider a delusional optimism but rational optimism is to is to think you know hey we have a lot of challenges ahead of us we're going to go through this transition from a fiat world to a bitcoin world and it's going to be tough like there's going to be a lot of challenges you have to work hard focus on your craft save in bitcoin stay humble but if you do those things there is an even better world on the other side of it and I firmly believe that. And no matter how hard the journey is, it's, you know, it's like Lord of the Rings. Like it's, it's not going to be easy, but there is the possibility for good to win out. And there's an even better world after that that we can unlock if we're just able to do the work and stay humble. Yeah, and the tension I think is a great way to think about it because on the one hand, I have definitely felt a lowering—I mean, just a crashing down of a lowering of my time horizon. Personally, especially, it seems like it's gone on a hyperdrive getting on Noster and just interacting with so many more Bitcoiners than I usually would where, you know, it's it's the meetup group every few weeks, right? Or listening to podcasts and, and things like that. And so I feel that tension even more because on the one hand, I feel the urgency going up so much more. But on the other hand, I feel like my time horizon is lowering so much <laughs> that there's this tension of, okay, we got to change everything, right? But oh no, this may take a hundred years or more. Yeah, and I've noticed that a lot on Noster where people are very optimistic uh, compared to people on Twitter. And it really is, you know, it's like that meme where you look at one side out the window and it's just like a dark cave and then the other side is like this beautiful vista. And that is really how I feel about Twitter and Noster where Noster, people can really see what the bright orange future is that awaits us. And not only can we see it, we're actively building it. And on Twitter, it's more like, oh, all these things are terrible. Let's complain to Elon Musk. Like, Elon, why can't you just fix this? Like, oh, why is the media so awful? Why are these central bankers so dumb? And it's a very negative, stressful way to operate. Whereas if you simply opt out of all that and just start actually building tools for the future, then it's you don't have to worry so much about how, how shoddy fiat world is. And speaking of tools for the future, and going back to the parenting piece, you mentioned Kipling's book, The Jungle Book, as an interesting way to have contrast between the the law of the jungle and the law of man. Do you mind expanding on that a little bit? Yeah, totally. So we just finished. I'm a new dad, by the way. Uh, a lot of master people congratulated me, so I thank you guys all for that. And yeah, one of the first books I read my son is The Jungle Book by Rudyard Kipling, which is you know over a hundred years old now. And the character Mowgli is basically someone who goes into the jungle and he's taken up by, you know, Balu and Bagheera, the bear and the, and the uh, black jaguar. And they basically teach him the law of the jungle. And the law of the jungle is essentially natural law. It's the way things should be. It's the way that nature arranges reality. And it's really uh, portrayed as a just way, you know, the way things should be. And then aside from that, you have two other themes. You have basically the mob mentality or the herd mentality, which is portrayed by the monkeys, the Bangerlog, Banderlog. Um, and then you also have the, me- the way that men operate in the village. 
And the Banderlog, it's just total chaos. There's no leadership, there's no order. It's basically just a herd that does whatever it's feeling based on its emotion any given time. And then the, in the man village, they operate in a way that's almost like delusional. Like people just have, like everyone has these false hierarchies of who's in charge and they have weave all these stories together that don't really make sense, that don't have any basis in natural law. And it's amazing when I read this and you just think about how much it parallels our world, world today where Bitcoin really grounds us back in nature again. It grounds us with real energy that cannot be faked in order to hash a Bitcoin block. And that's what kind of connects us back to the law of the jungle. Whereas in fiat world, we've had all of these delusions of you know building up more and more credit bubbles, all of this abstractions of claims on gold, and then we got rid of gold altogether. And now we're trying to change what the perceptions are of reality to keep this delusion going even further and manipulating CPI so people don't think it's as bad as it is and all of these crazy things just to keep up this delusion. And so what we need is to get back to natural law, you know, or the law of the jungle as in the jungle book. And I just love how those themes match uh, our current reality. That's beautiful. I'm going to uh, get that book. I usually do the, the audio books mostly, but now you've really piqued my interest out. <laughs> I, I, the description that you painted, yeah, everybody running around with false hierarchies and all this stuff where everybody's confused. It's a very apt example, it seems. And I wanted to ask you, where did your, or how, more importantly, did your Bitcoin journey begin where you started to maybe align some of these ideas that you see presented in the Jungle Book or other literature? Yeah, good question. Well, there's kind of two stories. There's like my... Like the short story of just when did I get in and buy it and how did that go? And then there's more how did my philosophical understanding of reality change over time? So I'll, yeah, I more the, the first... second one. Yeah, I, okay, I, I yeah. want to focus on more of the second one. Yeah, because because the others is, you know, I, I, it's good to know. But I really I was I was feeling there was going to be deeper stuff. So I, I like that you already separated the answer already out. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So, you know, I grew up fairly like independent household like fairly libertarian you know my dad was a fan of Ron Paul and I remember watching the wars in the Middle East when I was a kid and just thinking how ridiculous it was that we were sending people out there to die for um, you know what people in the Ron Paul section of uh, the political sphere was saying was blood for oil and one thing I didn't realize at that time is that it wasn't really blood for oil so much as it was blood for petrodollar, right? Like it was all a way to prop up the petrodollar system so that the U.S. could maintain its hegemony over the world through fiat currency. And I didn't realize that at the time, but I, I already started to have some skepticism of, hey, is what they're telling us in politics and the media really what's happening or are there some ulterior motives there? So that's kind of how I started out. But then I will say through high school and college, I became more atheist, more statist. I, I think I started to kind of think like, oh man, if I was just king of the world and I could <laughs> make the rules how I think they should be and everyone had to obey them, then everything would be great, right? And I think most people fall into this trap of thinking, oh, if everyone just followed my rules, then everything would be fine. And also, by the way, how could anyone believe in God? Like, that's such a ridiculous thing. Like, we've gone beyond that. We have science now. We have all these amazing, uh, you know, political organizational structures. And 
I actually became kind of depressed through that and it, it like led me to, I think, kind of a bad place. Um, and what really unlocked me from that place was reading Eastern philosophy and reading the Bhagavad Gita and reading Herman Hess uh, books like Siddhartha. And then, of course, reading Alan Watts was where it really unlocked for me. And the big unlock was realizing that God is not some external king who rules over you from afar and tells you what to do, uh, you know, kind of like Santa Claus. It's like God is really someone who's within each of us. And that, you know, the Buddhists and the Hindus really got this right, I think, where it's God is the Brahma. He's the force within each of us that guides every living being on this earth. And we're all interconnected in that way. And once I started to view reality in that way, I started to realize that having one king laying down all the rules from on high was not the best way to operate. That actually the best op way to operate was through the way nature operates where it's bottom up, where you kind of let every living being decide what makes the most sense for its particular niche, whether it's a bee or a flower or whatever. And then everything is this beautiful symphony that works perfectly if you operate in that way. And so that's when I started to really kind of become less of a statist and more someone who believed in the power of open source movements, like real freedom. And another, you know, kind of side unlock was that I always enjoyed smoking weed. Um, but I had a hard time finding weed in college. And at that time, everyone was downloading, you know, torrents from LimeWire and whatever. So I just looked and I was like, how can I get a little bit of weed here? Like, you know, it's nothing bad with smoking weed, but it was hard to get where, where I was. And so that's where I found Silk Road. And so I was like, what's this thing called Bitcoin? And so, you know, we, we uh, you know, got some weed and Silk Road, some Bitcoin. We, we didn't hold it or anything. This must have been like 2012, 2013. And it wasn't until 2014 that I really like actually bought it as an investment of like, hey, maybe this Bitcoin thing will really catch on. I should get some. But I still fell into the traps of like, maybe it'll fail. Um, you know, so I, I sold it when it was down and I kept going to these different stopping points where I'd be like, okay, surely this is the thing that's going to kill Bitcoin, right? <laughs> so like, I remember I got a Trezor like way back in the day. And by the way, I don't recommend Trezor anymore. But I got a Trezor and then I saw you had to use software to interface with your Trezor. And I was like, this is BS. Like surely someone is gonna be do a man in the middle attack and, and take it and how can this software really be safe? But then I really realized that there is no single point of failure there because you could use all different types of software and you could recover your wallet and then use it in, different, uh, in a different tool. So I kind of kept going through these paths of like trying to disprove Bitcoin. And like, oh, surely another altcoin will take over. But then I realized, well, you can only really discover Bitcoin once. Like once we already have knowledge that Bitcoin is possible, then you can't really have a new coin develop and grow in the same natural way as we had the first time. And then another realization I had was, um, you know, with, with uh, like Bitcoin doesn't have any major flaws. It's Pareto efficient. Meaning if you were to try to improve one aspect of it, like increase the block size, you would be making another aspect worse. Like it'd be harder to run a full node. It wouldn't be as decentralized. So through all that time, I would say like by 2017, that's when I was really like, okay, I'm done with all this shit coining. I'm just going to focus on Bitcoin only. And, you know, since then I've continued to learn and it's been amazing to watch the Lightning Network grow and watch Nostra grow and everything else. Um, 
but yeah, that's that's kind of my journey. And you know, Alan Watts, I would say, was the the main linchpin that allowed me to kind of unlock that way of viewing the world as like bottom up, like you know, law of nature way of of uh, operating. Um, so that's why I made my name Alan B. Watts, sort of in his honor. That, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. I and it makes so much sense, Alan, when you explain. I sense that you were an OG, but just couldn't kind of put a finger on it. But the fact that you're out there in, in the middle of Silk Road is awesome. And it makes sense then because I was going to comment on. It feels like a lot of your posts that are more actual when you talk about RoboSats or other things like that. It feels like you're just operating at ease with some of these higher levels that especially plebs that are new to Bitcoin, especially new to Noster, thinking, oh, wow, there's this whole other levels that I need to kind of upgrade if I'm going up the sovereignty staircase, if you will, that, you know, Andreas talks about and, and things like that. How did you develop the skills or if you could give it an advice to other plebs that are trying to go up that staircase, what advice would you give? Yeah, good question. I'd say the most helpful advice is just to try to get a little bit better every day because you're never going to have, you can't change the past, first of all. So if you already bought Bitcoin on centralized exchanges, I wouldn't worry too much about that. You know, I think it's, you just move forward. And so you might decide to mix your coins to have better forward looking privacy. You might decide to start buying from a, a peer to peer exchange like RoboSats. And some people have also recommended like even just starting with like buy an extra hardware wallet and just start a small sovereign stack on the side just in case. Um, and then, you know, you might decide, you know, maybe I should look into running my own node or maybe I should, uh, you know, look into having a, you know, secure laptop that I only use for Bitcoin transactions. Um, and you just start to kind of improve your privacy and your sovereignty stack over time. That's the most important thing. It's like, it's most important to know where you're going and to have the right destination or at least the right, like the way rather than to you know try to go as quickly as you possibly can like having the right uh, navigation is i would say the most important and it really is a never-ending journey because once you are your own bank with bitcoin you also have to be your own bank security right <laughs> so you have to have a way to secure your bitcoin to defend it and then if things go bad you also want to have a way to provide for yourself so you know just figuring out the necessities first like how how secure like could you last for two weeks just with what you have in your own house with enough food water energy um you know that's like a good place to start but then it is never ending like you might decide to have your own server at some point you might um you know decide to go into more regenerative farming and there's other people that do this much better than me, so I'm I, I consider myself fairly early on in that journey. <laughs> but I'm definitely um, you know very mindful of the privacy trade-offs, and so I try to try to help point people in the right direction there. Well, and that's the tension too. I feel right, Alan, where you said it is never-ending. I feel I'm starting to realize that, but at the same time, it's not helping as much to have think, oh, here I got to do this, so I got to do that. Is there a way that you think about how to hierarchy? it especially when it seems like there's if you did a shotgun aim right you you could hit 10 different targets in terms of things you yeah. can start to do so how do you maybe narrow that down because i feel some people will just get paralysis by analysis not do anything oh why well, i got coinbase right i'll just keep doing coinbase or you know fill in whatever your your excuse or, or different scenario is yeah totally well i would say you know first and foremost recognize that 
no man is an island. So I think some people get a little too excited about the idea that you could literally live all on your own without any, needing anyone else. And some people can do that, it is possible. But the reality is we're always part of a broader community. And so I think the most important thing is just that you have a way to trade freely with other people who have things you might need and vice versa. And Bitcoin really is the best way to do that. And so to be able to have full control over your wealth so you can buy stakes or water or whatever it is you need, that is the most important thing. And so the first and foremost, I mean, everyone should already know this, but not your keys, not your coins. Like if you're holding your Bitcoin with any third party, like obviously not Coinbase or Binance, but even if it's a Bitcoin only company like Cash App or Strike, you really don't have control over your wealth. And so you won't be able to freely trade with other people who have the things you need unless you have full control over your wealth. So I think that is the most important. I'm actually not as concerned as some other Bitcoiners when it comes to, um, you know, the idea of like tainted sats. Like I actually mm. think tainted sats is just pure FUD because you could always just do another transaction with yourself. So like, let's say I did some coin join and then the US government or whatever government, um, you know, puts that on the OFAC non-compliant list, like basically blacklisting that. Well, you could then just, you know, do another transaction with yourself, like whether it's another coin chain, an on-chain transaction, a lightning transaction. Um, you know, you could open a node with some, a, a channel with someone else in your node and push the liquidity to them and then it's their UTXO. Like, there's, like, sats are fully fungible. And so I wouldn't worry so much about where your Bitcoin came from. Mm -hmm. um, like, you know, if you're just getting started, the most important thing is that you are the sole person who has access to it. No one else has access to it. There's no one who, even if the like chat GPT became aware and was fully generally intelligent, they wouldn't be able to get your Bitcoin private keys because you haven't written it down anywhere online. You've never taken a photo of it. Like that's the most important thing for sure. And then it's yep. just, it is also the way I view like peer to peer, like buying from RoboSats, it is good for your privacy because you know the government or whoever else doesn't know how much bitcoin you bought and i think that is that is useful um but i, I would say like an even better aspect of buying from robosats or selling on robosats or bisque or any of these peer-to-peer -peer exchanges is that you're helping the circular economy like you're literally buying and selling from other bitcoiners that are more likely to actually keep it and use it you're not just helping Coinbase like earn some extra money and then you know spit it off into new shitcoins, right? So, no, I love how you talked about bringing it back to the circular economy. I've been thinking about this a lot, and this leads me to another note, Alan, that I really liked of yours. It said, in the near term, the two developments I'm most looking forward to are number one, BT Pay server-like solutions that are as easy to set up on your website as a Stripe checkout and then two, Nostra Marketplace. you mind expanding on the excitement or anything in particular you have with that? Yeah, totally. So, you know, I've set up BTC Pay Server and it is a great solution and I love the team and I love that it exists, but your typical person is not gonna be able to figure it out. And so we need something that is as easy as plug and play for anyone to accept Bitcoin on their website as Stripe. And we're already seeing some really great developments there. Like for instance, there's LightSpark Ventures where they have more of a B2B solution. It is pretty pricey. I think it's like $1,200 a month. 
but you can basically have full lightning checkout whether they're checking out with Bitcoin or fiat it goes over the Bitcoin lightning rails and that's a great solution but we really need more of that like we need everyone to easily just accept Bitcoin in a privacy preserving way where they control their funds it doesn't reuse addresses and it's way easier to set up than BTC pay server and that I think will just be huge for the circular economy which really is just like a full separate economy like parallel to fiat that people can like opt into and that's what's going to grow over time and that's eventually what's going to dethrone fiat uh, and then as far as the marketplace, I mean, I view that as just very closely connected where once everyone has their own goods and services that they're selling on their website for Bitcoin, if we can make it really easy for plebs to buy from one another over Noster, that's huge because, you know, already you can buy wine from Ben Justman, Justman you know, Peony Lanes, you can buy beef from the steak in, uh, or steak from the, the beef initiative. Like there are already some pretty good merchants out there, but there isn't good discoverability. And I think one thing Nostra does really well is it creates a level of trust, trust and reputation where mm -hmm. like I would be happy to buy something from you, Free Critter, because I, I, I feel like we have a, you know, we know each other and like I'd be very surprised if you screwed me over. And I feel right, the same yeah. way about it. a lot of other <laughs> Nostridges. And that's not the same with just like any random person on the internet. So if we can kind of build on that trust model where like I'd much rather buy all of my, you know, daily needs or whatever from uh, other Nostra plebs. And so yeah, Nostra marketplace would be huge. Um, I mean, there's Ana Nostra that Pablo built, which is kind of like a Craigslist, but it's not fully there yet. Like you can't actually zap and buy something and then see an order status. We just need very simple functionality to be able to buy goods from other nostriges and then for people to set up checkout on their own website with Bitcoin. Yeah, it makes so much sense when you talk about the BTP, BTC pay server being as easy as a WordPress plugin, right? Because that's where you really saw, I think, if, if you trace back to where online business really started to blow up, it's when those tools were developed, right? Where anybody could spin up a WordPress, all right, let's go grab a plugin. Now you got WooCommerce or whatever else, right? And and now you see the explosion of creativity. And I feel like this is the very beginning of an even higher level that it can reach building off of Noster and the tools that Bitcoin allows. Definitely, yeah. And so I'm curious, Alan, in terms of I don't know if you saw, did you see the guy Swan note? Uh, I think it was the other day where he talked about the, the fence contractor. Did, did you see that situation? No. Okay, so, so the T TLDR was basically that uh, guy Swan was, was trying to install a fence. The, the contractor was a little bit more pricey, he thought it took a while to move the BTC and he was like, to try to convert it to fiat. And basically he was like, hey, can I just pay you in Bitcoin? And the contractor, you know, kind of hemmed and hawed and eventually said no. And then Guy Swan researched a couple others. And it so happened that contractor in that time that he said, hey, I'm gonna look for others, reached back out and said, yes, I'll accept BTC for it. And so Guy proposed that, hey, maybe this is how you start to grow it locally, is just start asking vendors and businesses. But then on the other hand, that tension, right, of how easy is it for that business to spin it up? So I'm curious if you just have any general thoughts on that, or do you actively do anything similar to try to expand your personal local economy? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, I do think there's an important distinction to make between if you're paying someone in Bitcoin 
and they just immediately convert it back to fiat. Mm. And so in that case, it's more like you're just using the Bitcoin rails because you don't have to deal with all the fees, all the time mm. delay. And I think that's what a lot of uh, you know VCs and more like people in normie world are excited about with regard to Bitcoin. It's like, oh, you can bypass all of the, um, you know, all the fees that these banks pay and, you know, you can just use fiat. And I think that's fine. Like, it's nice to see more people at least get their foot in the door with Bitcoin. But I think it's, you know, ideally, it's a full circular economy where you're paying a real Bitcoiner who really values Bitcoin in itself, not just for the fiat you can get in exchange for it. And then they actually use that Bitcoin to buy other things with Bitcoin. And then, you know, you truly have a parallel economy in, in that sense. So um, I think that's why there isn't as much of a... Um, like you do have to like everyone is kind of going on the same journey but we're all at different stages on the journey mm -hmm. and the destination is the same for everyone where eventually people are going to wake up to bitcoin even if it's only because they can no longer pay their bills because inflation has gotten so crazy and so i think it, it is uh you know to have a strong parallel economy we need bitcoiners that value bitcoin uh, transacting with one another which is which is why i think noster is so powerful and the marketplace that could be built around it is so powerful because like if you can truly live your whole life on just bitcoin and not only that but you probably have better quality stakes uh, because you know you're not having all of these you know chemicals and preservatives put on it because bitcoiners you know value uh, you know, healthy foods and like there's not not using seed oils and things like that. And you start to just see this whole parallel world that other people can opt into, but it's kind of already built on a firm foundation of Bitcoiners. Like that's really, I think, the most powerful path, um, you know, more. So, but I think there is also a you know role to play with people like initially just being like, well, I can avoid credit card fees if I pay <laughs> over Bitcoin. And then, you know, eventually they figure out like, well, maybe I should save some of this and, you know, not just immediately convert it back into cuck bucks. <laughs> right. It, it makes me think back to, to Jeff's book, uh, Jeff Booth's book about the price of tomorrow and that, you know, at the end of the day, his thesis, you need to stop thinking about Bitcoin's price going up, but everything else becoming less valuable compared to Bitcoin. And I feel that's such an interesting flip to try to think about that. And, and that sounds, Alan, it reminds me that when you talk about, well, if you're just paying in BTC and you know the business is, I'm going to flip it back around to fiat, how much is it actually moving it forward? But again, like you said, maybe the business owner doesn't doesn't move it immediately and maybe the price you know pumps all of a sudden. Now he's thinking, oh, wow, I made a nice profit. And maybe he starts to go down a rabbit hole journey of his own. And I think that's where it just goes back to the time, right? Being able to have a low time preference, let these things play out. Yeah, totally. And another way I've heard it put, which was really resonated with me, is Luke Broyles said, you don't take profits when you sell Bitcoin. You take profits when you buy Bitcoin, like or you sell fiat. So like if you earn work, if you earn dollars for your work and then you buy Bitcoin, that's you taking profits. Like a lot of people start out where they have this mindset of like, oh, once Bitcoin's at a million dollars, I'll sell my Bitcoin and then I'll be a millionaire. And like, you know, that might be great for a couple of weeks or a couple of months, but then <laughs> pretty soon you'll be destitute again because inflation will just keep eating away at you. And so <laughs> I think to have that flipped mindset of like really measuring your net worth in SATs and realizing when you increase your SAT stack, you're, you are, that is what taking profits is, is a good way to think about it.
Mm-hmm. And going back to the parallel economy, another note I wanted to highlight of yours, and I love when you do this technique of you'll you'll self uh, quote yourself <laughs> and build upon that. And I'd love that because especially people you know are popping on and off Noster all day long, and so to be able to kind of put those thoughts together, I love how you do this. And so the first one that you said is uh, comparing fiat and Bitcoin. Fiat, everything I should be mandated, and everything I don't like should be banned. Whereas Bitcoin is everything should be voluntary, and then you quote tweeted that to build on top of that of fiat. Don't steal from us. Parentheses and in whatever group, steal from them. The uh, the other group, and then Bitcoin. Don't steal from anybody. How how did you feel when this this idea of fiat is literally stealing from you really sunk in? Yeah, well, it kind of gets back to our earlier talk about. This idea of like if I was just king of the world and everyone followed my rules, everything would be fine. And this is so common in, in fiat way of thinking. And so, you know, the Democrats just want to pass bills that'll steal from Republicans, like greedy corporations, like Elizabeth Warren says. Um, or you know, Republicans will try to pass bills to steal from Democrats. Or both of them, Republicans and Democrats, will pass bills to steal from future generations through. Increasing the debt that we will never be able to pay back in our lifetimes, and so really, like the whole game of fiat politics is a game of okay, whoever is in power, they get to decide who gets stolen from next via taxation, inflation, and regulation. But in Bitcoin, because it's a libertarian or I like to call it a volunteerism community, the whole idea is that no one steals from anyone. Like if you're a miner, you're putting in the work. To be able to earn Bitcoin, like you don't get any free lunch, and if you're a node runner, like same thing, like you're putting in the work to manage channels so you can get,、um, you know, maybe some small transaction fees. And anyone who's actually participating in the Bitcoin economy, you have to provide real value to get money that itself is truly valuable because you cannot create more than 21 million Bitcoin. And So this is just—I mean, really—it's kind of like a return to sound money because this is the way it worked on the gold standard for thousands of years, and、um, yeah. So like, I just view it as、uh, you know a return to natural law where no one steals from anyone. Everyone has to earn what they keep, and、um, you know, if you're someone who just tries to sit on your stack, like, oh, I have all this Bitcoin, and I'm just going to live my life and not contribute any value. You'll be leaking sats over time.、Mm-hmm. Like、you'll have to spend your sats. So even in that case, where people are worried about, like, oh, is Michael Saylor going to be too powerful or, or something like that? It's like, well, you know what? He's going to leak a lot of sats that'll then be in the hands of other holders. And、uh, you know, so the whole system just operates in a much more fair and natural way compared to the fiat system. Yeah, I just keep thinking about the business aspect of it, and right now I think we're at peak race to the bottom. <laughs> and in terms of how how terrible can your business experience be, right? And and they have no incentive to fix it. Whereas on the other hand, the race to the top. So now you're competing for you know pick an industry, right? Even if it's your you want to go down to your local butcher. Now your local butchers are going to have to be competitive. Because if Bitcoiners are now saying, "Okay, I'm going to part with Sats," I really want good quality meat. I want good cuts, and so then that forces positive competition, where the big, the, the local butchers are then going to try to make sure. Well, maybe I should actually drop my price a little bit to get your business on top of 
doing something better. Totally. And we see this really clearly in the venture capital industry because basically all of the unicorns that, you know, reached a billion dollars through VC money, their business wasn't really creating value and creating a profitable business. Their business was raising money. Like they would do whatever they could to modify the metrics so that it was appealing to investors and then they get all of this investor money and then the whole game is to try to IPO or get acquired by the time you know before you run out of all that money and all that momentum and so it is almost like a game of um you know hot potato or musical chairs where it's like all right who's going to get stuck holding the bag and it's not about creating the most value and you know you see all these zombie companies as well like 2008 financial crash like all of these big companies should have gone under like all the big mm-hmm. banks and the big lenders but they didn't and then similarly with the healthcare industry like a lot of the big pharma companies like they would not exist if they had to operate on pure profitability without you know these massive government contracts that basically give them a monopoly over everything and you know require everyone to get certain injections and like creating all this artificial demand that wouldn't otherwise be there and so you know you see it even more strongly in Japan but like i just see the fiat world as this like this like you know this giant assortment of zombie companies that are all propped up by fiat mm. and they they have to keep increasing the pace at which the money printer puts out new fiat because they're becoming less and less like you know truly valuable and so they have to have more artificial value pumped into them and then it's the exact opposite in the bitcoin and nostro world where like you said like everyone is competing to have the very best product at the most competitive price because people who know what bitcoin is are very wary about parting with their sats so you better have a good offering yeah marty bet talks a, a, a lot about kind of the the spiritual awakening but also the renaissance right that maybe we're in another renaissance and i wonder if small businesses in particular will help lead the way with that because when you when you're describing that Alan, that's where my mind goes to right what's the opposite of a zombie company what's well, probably your local butcher right who has learned a craft is honing his skills and then providing very good value for that immediate network totally yeah i think farmers markets are a great place to start also because it's all people that they control their own product and you know so i think that's a great place to start um But yeah, I mean anything you can do in your local community like even to just have one guy who's a bitcoiner who you always buy your meat from or you know one guy who you always buy your bagels from at, you know at the farmers market or whatever it is like that's huge just creating those initial connections and I saw some other posts on Noster where they said if you don't if you can't code well create a community because that's just as valuable as building the tools as building the actual community of people So even if it's just like a small meetup or you know something like a weekly Noster Nest or anything like that I think all that stuff is very helpful for just pushing this forward. Well, if nothing else out that makes me feel much better for the the programming books I bought that are collecting dust on my desk necessarily right now whereas I I was <laughs> doing the community part of having the Noster Nest so you're making me feel better already. I somehow got tagged in a note with with highlight developers and I respond I'm not a developer unless buying a book counts as I'm, I'm in the I'm in the group already. So, Alan, this has been a great conversation. I hope maybe we can have another round at some point in the future. You did not disappoint at any level. And for those of you in the audience, we're going to have an open Q&A discussion here in a second once we're done recording. And so you know guys know too, 
all the sats that I get zapped, whether it's on Fountain or the notes, anything like that, half of it automatically goes to the guest. The other 50% I then split where I send it to a rotating dev. Right now I'm mainly hitting up the Noster Plebs devs where it's uh, Derek Ross and Semi Soul, and then the remaining 25% is the only part that I'll keep on that. But Al, I wanted to end with this one note that you were quoting Alan Watts in. It says, to know that you are God is another way of saying that you feel completely with this universe. You feel profoundly rooted in it and connected with it. You feel, in other words, that the whole energy which expresses itself in the galaxies is intimate. It is not something to which you are a stranger, but it is that with which you are intimately bound up. That in your seeing, your hearing, your talking, your thinking, your moving, you express that which moves the sun and other stars. What, if anything, that you want to share does your practice look like in terms of dealing with these ideas, playing around with them, exploring them? Yeah, so I would say that the best way to just summarize that is to really trust yourself and not defer to authority as 99% of people tend to do, where it's not like you just take on the beliefs that you might have heard growing up or you might have heard in the media or whatever else. It's that you also check that with your inner self and make sure that it truly is aligned with what you feel to be right and true and just. And I think a big part of that is just recognizing that we're all interconnected. And a you know, great way I like to think about this is anyone who tries to describe the world or describe reality, by necessity, you're slicing up reality into pieces. Like if you say, oh, the world is all good or it's all bad or it's all up or it's all down. All of those are inaccurate statements because you cannot describe the whole world or, or the whole reality by slicing it into pieces. And so, you know, I would say the best piece of advice that I've found through Alan Watts and Eastern philosophy and Bitcoin, which all really point to the same, same conclusion, is that, you know, you have to really trust in yourself and you have to follow the way that you know to be right. And you have to realize that you are part of everything and so staying in the middle like the middle way um, is a great way to just visualize it and, and if you ever find yourself going too far extreme in one end or the other just come back to the center and i think meditation helps i think going out in nature helps getting sunshine exercise all of that helps recalibrate you to the way because you start to notice you know the patterns that the birds fly and the way the wind is blowing and you start to just really recalibrate to, okay, I'm not separate from this environment. I'm not just some person fighting against the world. I am the world. And even like the, the shit coiners and the central bankers and the most despicable people who are fighting against human freedom, in a sense, they also are part of you. And it's almost like you're part of this one giant godhead or this consciousness collective that itself is battling out what is the right path forward and so you have all of these laggards that want to keep things the same and then you have this like new burgeoning group of bitcoiners and nostriches that are trying to move the flow into a different better direction and so i think it's important to stay true to your nature and move the consciousness collective in the right direction while also not stressing out too much about the other parts of the collective that are against that because they're part of you too like they're another aspect of yourself Alan, that's beautiful. I'm not going to say anything else other than until next time, critters, roam free. Earn sats, get zapped. That's right. I 
Free Critter have posted bounties where you can get paid sats, increase your stack by actually trying to do things to me. Here's the first one, reveal my identity. So I have purposely have a pseudonymous name and the whole idea behind HODL flow is I want to help other plebs just like myself. I'm a pleb, I'm learning out loud, hashtag LOL, just like you are. And so this first bounty that I've posted is 100,000 sats. If you can DM me my legal name and an email address I actively use. Even better though, I will increase the bounty offer by 150,000 sats. So now we're up to 250,000 sats. If you can then show me how to sweep up my steps and cover my tracks more effectively. And why I have that so much more is at the end of the day, I wanna share with other plebs the best privacy practices that they can follow. So 250,000 sats total if you can DM me my legal name and an email address I use, and then how you get up to the 250 level is show me steps that I can sweep my tracks to then share that to other plebs that they can do the same. That's bounty number one. Bounty number two is, and you can find all these at nosterbounties.com. I will link in the show notes and on the website for that. Bounty number two, identify security threat. So the initial offer is 250,000 sats. If you can DM me a security or vulnerable vector of attack that is specific to me. So it has to be active, ongoing right now, a security threat or vulnerable vector of attack that could be any number of things. And similar to bounty number one, I will then increase the bounty offer by 500,000 sats. So now we're up to a total of 750,000 sats if the bounty hunter can show me how to remedy my security vulnerabilities to effectively eliminate or at least drastically reduce my compromised position. The whole point of this, again, hashtag LOL. I wanna learn out loud and share that with other plebs out there so they can incorporate better privacy practices as well. I'll update you if we have any progress on these bounties, but these are standing ongoing bounties. Check them out more at nosterbounties.com. And also you can post your own as well.